So we're going to look at the uh, three verses, verses uh, four to seven today uh, in uh, Philemon. And before we do that, uh, got me thinking really, if you look at this whole book, you can't get away from the fact that uh, there's a group of people here that are living life together, whether that's uh, the church in Colossae or whether it's those that are living uh, with Paul and uh, ministering with him. And I don't know whether you are, you consider yourself a team player. Um, and I, sometimes I like to be part of a team. Sometimes I like uh, what I do to influence the success of others. And sometimes I don't like that. <laughs> Depends what I'm doing, I think. Uh, sometimes in team sports, it's quite nice to lose yourself in a group. Um, and other times it's, uh, it's not very nice when you end up missing the goal or whatever it is that people have a go at. And uh, same in business, isn't it? When you're uh, doing a a group presentation or you've got some kind of group target, sometimes it's nice to lose yourself and blame everybody else and uh, other times it's just quite nice to be able to just think, well, I'm just going to do it myself and uh, I can do it better than anyone else. And if you look at uh, this, uh, this whole book, really, it's that idea that as, a, as Christians, we're not on our own. We're not loners just doing some kind of long-distance run uh, by ourselves, but actually that we are a group together, we're a community, we're a fellowship and actually uh, what we do and how we act affects each other. And actually we can't get away from that. The whole uh, Bible teaches about this need for uh, community, this need for fellowship and family. So uh, last time we looked at the book, we looked at verses uh, 1 to 3. And uh, we looked at kind of how Paul initially approaches in his introduction to the letter the conflict that there was, this need for reconciliation between um, Philemon, who, had, uh, who was a, a wealthy man who owned a slave called um, Onesimus, who had, uh, as far as we know, had run away and uh, had ended up uh, meeting Paul and becoming a Christian. And Paul really wanted to uh, bring about a reconciliation between these two people who really, in a, in a sense, were completely different social classes. And it would have been a complete uh, against the culture for this reconciliation to happen and for these two people to be seen as brothers in Christ. And uh, what Paul said, uh, says in, in uh, verses 1 to 3, really, is he, he talks about the fact that uh, we approach conflict thinking about the f- of what unites us. So he talks about the, the fact that we are of the same family, that we are friends, that we're fellow laborers, that we are fellow soldiers together. This issue, really, that we, we cannot get away from the fact that we are in this together. So verses 1 to 3 are really kind of that approach. He lays the foundation in the sense of, you know, if we're going to deal with conflict, we need to remember that we are united and that uh, this conflict within us is going to affect uh, that unity. And in verses 4 to 7, he really focuses on the character of Philemon. He talks about the kind of person that Philemon is. And uh, for me, looking at this, I think it really tells us something about the kind of person who is willing to forgive. Who is it? What kind of characteristics does a person have who is uh, keen to see that reconciliation and to see um, differences sorted out. So I think there's a few things that we can learn from this. And the first one is in verse 4. And I think the kind of person that is willing and keen to forgive is someone who can see the good in others and be thankful for them. You'll see that he says, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers. And if you look at the letters of Paul... Paul was somebody that could see the good in other people. He was always encouraging and, uh, and pointing out the kind of positives in other people. And he does so here with Philemon. And not only does he do that, but he also encourages 
at Philemon to see the good in Onesimus. If you look in verses 11 and 13 and 16 throughout the letter, he continually tries to encourage Philemon to see the good in Onesimus. In other words, to say that this is uh, not your enemy, that this is a friend, this is somebody that has good qualities, and it will be good to, to reinstate them and to, to bring that reconciliation. Because if we focus on other people's good points, it helps us to be thankful for them. It helps us to remember that at that most basic level, they are God's creation made in his image. And it also motivates us to pray for them and to seek that reconciliation. If all you're doing is seeing the negative of somebody, then you can quite easily say, well, I don't need that person. You know, what are they, what's use are they to me? Why should I bother trying to make it up with them? I remember when I was in London, I lived in a Christian hostel and uh, it would have lovely if it would have been all uh, goodness and light. But as always, when you get a group of people together, there was disagreements and uh, and uh, there was people that I uh, didn't particularly like who lived there. And the more I lived with them, the more they used to frustrate me. And the little things that they did uh, used to get on my nerves. And uh, I'd find myself kind of increasingly just getting upset. And in the end, I made myself write out a list of all their good points. And the more I disliked them, the more I wrote out or tried to, to, to uh, find something good in them. And I, I would thank God for them uh, every day. And it's amazing what a difference it makes when you start to do that, that actually even those people that are really getting on your nerves, suddenly you see them in a a bigger picture and you see them in a different light. So the first first thing really is to to be a people who see good in other people and are thankful for them. And the second thing that we see in the same verse is that we should be a people who pray about everything. You know, if we take everything to the Lord in prayer, then we're more likely to be able to see things as God sees them. And if there is conflict and if there are difficulties, that we see those as God sees them as problems that need to be fixed for the glory of his name. And you can see that Paul prays. He says that he prays for Philemon, but I think he's also praying for this situation. I get the feeling that Paul is continually bringing this situation for God and asking him to bring about the circumstances and to soften people's hearts in order for this to happen. We also see in verse 22 that uh, Paul knows that Philemon is also a person who prays. So not only is Paul praying for this situation, but he's really trusting that Philemon will be doing the same, that he'll be bringing this situation to God. And in Colossians 1.9, Paul says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And it's so important, again, that we are a people that pray, that we pray for one another, we thank God for one another, but also if situations do arise, that we lift those to God as well, both individually in prayer and also as we're able as a group. And thirdly, and maybe most importantly, we see that someone who is willing to forgive will be somebody that has been forgiven themselves, somebody that is loved by God and has experienced the forgiveness of God. And we know from verse 19 that Philemon came to faith through the, through the ministry of Paul and that Philemon is a, a Christian. He's experienced the love of God. He's experienced that forgiveness of God that has cleansed him from his sin and that he knows that uh, the wrong that he has done has been forgiven. And Paul is thankful because he's heard that Philemon has continued in that love and faith. So not only did Paul uh, bring him to faith, but he's also continued in that and he continues to love uh, both the saints and to love the Lord. You'll see that in verse five. 
He says, hearing of your love and faith, which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints. And faith and love go together. You know, God loves us so much that he gives us that faith to believe, to repent and believe. You know, without the Lord giving us that faith, we would never come to a revelation of our own sin. We would never come to accept Jesus as a saviour. But it's one of the greatest gifts that God gives us is that faith to believe. And what that does is produce in us a love for God, but also a love for the saints. And actually experiencing forgiveness should cause us to desire others to know forgiveness too. So it should cause us to want others to seek forgiveness, not only from God, but also to know forgiveness from us as well. You know, we shouldn't be those that continually hold grudges and wishing people ill. You know, think of the parable of the unmerciful servant. How can we hold something against someone else when we have been forgiven so much ourselves? So as Christians, we are in a wonderful position to be able to trust judgment and punishment to God. You know, we don't have to uh, stand there thinking, well, you know, I, I, I need to... Uh, take this on myself to, to judge everyone and to punish them because, you know, their, their wrongdoing must be punished. Actually, we know that the day of judgment is coming and that no one's sin is going to just be swept under the carpet. It is all being logged and it will all be accounted for. And what that actually does is it frees us up then to be able to forgive because we don't feel that kind of we're the ones whose job it is to punish wrongdoing. Now, obviously, there are those that are given authority within the church and outside the church to do that. But actually, on a personal level, that's not ours to do. Paul says in Romans 12, verses 17 to 21, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So as I said, this frees us then to forgive those that have wronged us. It frees us to love and to bless those that have wronged us. Even our enemies, you know, Jesus calls us to love our enemies. But also it calls us, to, it, it frees us up to share our faith with them and to pray for them. You know, they don't become our enemies who we're kind of battling against. Actually, they become people who we so desire to know the forgiveness that we've experienced ourselves. So we should especially seek to maintain that unity with fellow believers. You know, I think this, uh, this applies to everybody, to our colleagues and our families and our communities who don't know the Lord, but especially to the believers. You know, how can we hold something against a brother if Christ doesn't hold it against them? You know, who are we to hold a grudge? Who are we to hold unforgiveness towards them if they've been forgiven and that sin has been nailed to the cross? Colossians three twelve to 13 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. And Ephesians 4, verse 32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And fourthly, someone who is likely to be 
willing to forgive is what I'm going to refer to as a community fruit tree. Now, I'll explain what I mean by that. When I was in uh, Greece, I was told a story, and I don't know whether it's a true story or not, but uh, it's basically a story of a, a couple that go uh, to buy an old house in a village, and uh, this house is a bit run down, and it's got a, an amazing garden around it, and in the garden are many fruit trees, and there are a couple of orange trees in the garden, and uh, when they turn up, they decide that uh, they need to, to, uh, to sort the garden out, and they really don't need two orange trees, so uh, they're quite large and overgrown, so they're going to chop one of them down. And when they get there, one of them is full of fruit, just oranges everywhere, even to the point where there's oranges on the ground that are kind of going rotten because there's just so many oranges. And on the other orange tree, there isn't a single fruit in sight. It's just completely bare. So they make a, a decision that maybe we all would, well, we'll just go, we'll keep the one with all the fruit on it, and we'll get rid of the other one because there's obviously nothing on there. So they get out their saws and they get out their ladders and they start to uh, move towards the tree to, to chop it down. And as they do, the villagers come running out and uh, they're like, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? And they said, well, you know, they explain that there's two tr- fruit trees and they only need one. And the villagers say, you know, the old lady that used to live there, she used to give us permission to take the fruit because there was far too much from it. But the uh, fruit over there on that tree that you can see is horrible. They said it's sour, it's awful, nobody likes it. And that's why the fruit is still on the tree. And that's why there's so much rotten fruit on the ground, because no one likes it. But that tree over there is the sweetest fruit in the village. And the reason there's no fruit on it is because we've all picked it and there's none left. And to me, that's such an amazing illustration of of the whole point of fruit. That fruit is not there to make the tree look good. It's not there just to sit and people to look at it. It's actually there to be picked and eaten. So what do I mean by a, a community fruit tree? Well, I mean somebody who's... Uh, so part of that community and so sharing of themselves and their gifts and their talents and the the fruit of the spirit within them that other people are continually feeding from them. They're not just somebody that is kind of uh, proud and showing off their fruits to everybody. You see, Paul prays for Philemon in verse 6. He says that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Now, that Greek word for acknowledging means practical, first-hand experience. So it doesn't mean that they're just kind of looking at the fruit. It actually means that they're tasting of it, that they're experiencing every good thing that is in Philemon. So what Paul knew was that we most powerfully share our faith and and we actually grow in maturity when others taste of the fruit of the Spirit within us. You know, that every good thing that is in him, in Christ Jesus, those fruits of the Spirit, when they're tasted firsthand, when they bless other people firsthand, that's where we best share our faith, and that's where we actually grow. 1 John three sixteen to 19 says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. For whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and share and shall assure our hearts before him. You see, what John is saying now is exactly the same thing, that it's no good just uh, saying all the right things, but actually we must share. If there's a need within the fellowship, then we share. We are kind of community fruit trees that we can all pick from when there is need. 
And actually, God reveals himself most fully when we're in community. 1 John 4, 12 says, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. So actually, we experience the love of God most fully when we interact with one another. Yes, it's important that we, uh, we pray together and that we share um, the Lord's table together and that we study the word together, but it's also important that we experience practically the love of God through one another. That actually, if there's need within the fellowship, that we experience God's love from that, and he reveals himself to us, not just in what we say, but also in what we do. But this is only possible if we actively pursue fellowship. You know, none of this is going to happen if we're always at home on our own. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says in in chapter 10, 24 to 25, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You see, true lasting fellowship is only possible if we're willing to forgive and so be free from bitterness and resentment. If we're all there having bearing grudges against one another and holding something against one another, then we're not going to be able to have this true fellowship together. That's only possible if we're willing to forgive. 1 Peter 4 verse 8 says, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. So Paul will later, and we'll look at this uh, next time, he'll later ask Philemon to forgive Onesimus. He'll actually ask him to bring about a reconciliation because (coughs) Paul is going to send him back to that community at Colossae. And what will happen, uh, he hopes, is an amazing, uh, powerful acknowledgement of the forgiveness of God. So all that Paul has been writing in his letters about uh, the forgiveness that we experience from God and the forgiveness that we have for one another, what Paul is hoping that that will be powerfully demonstrated with this reconciliation between the slave and the slave owner. So they, the Colossians will experience firsthand the forgiveness of God among them. And this, you know, this will break down so many social barriers that actually people from uh, slave and free, people from different um, communities, from different cultures, uh, from different social backgrounds, all become one in Christ, that they are brothers in Christ. And this is going to be an example of that not only to those in the church, but also to those outside, that actually it's going to be a great witness to the truth of the gospel, that they're not just going to hear about forgiveness, but they're actually going to see it before their very eyes. And lastly, and we'll see this in verse 7, that the person who's willing to forgive is someone who's committed to the building up of others, what's referred to as the refreshing of the saints. So in verse 7, Paul says, We have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. This word refreshed in the Greek is actually a military term and what it means is an army at rest during a march. So I don't know whether you've seen all these programmes of kind of maybe training or during a battle where the army is marching and marching and marching and then somebody declares that period of rest and they all sit down weary and maybe, uh, maybe take their boots off or have something to eat and there's that just that issue, uh, that picture of, of an army at war marching, but then having that period of rest. And if you think about it, our faith, uh, uh, this life of faith is a long march together. 
we're actually in this together. It's not a, a sprint, it's a long march. And we need to encourage each other to persevere. We need actually to be the ones that are, uh, you know, uh, encouraging the weak and those that are falling behind, that we march together as one. And we need refreshed and refreshment on the way. You know, we're not just going to be able to do this without any uh, periods of, of rest. And forgiveness brings refreshing, both to the one who is doing the forgiving and also the one being forgiven. You know, that tension, I don't know whether you've had that of kind of where there is some friction between you and someone else and you're not quite sure why and it's all a bit awkward and they don't really look you in the eye and you don't them and you can feel that there's tension in the air and it just adds to that burden. But then there's a wonderful refreshing when you can just get it out in the open and talk it through and where there's that kind of forgiveness and reconciliation. It just lifts everybody that's involved. And Proverbs 27, 17 says that iron sharpens iron. And that's what we do, isn't it? As we walk along together, as we face the difficulties and the joys of life together, we sharpen one another and we encourage one another along the way. So you'll see here that um, Paul is not only uh, encouraging Philemon to think about um, the issue that they are the same family, that they are the, uh, friends, that they are co-workers, that they are fellow soldiers. But he's also um, trusting in the work that the Lord has done in Philemon's life. He's trusting that here is somebody that has met with Jesus and is transformed to such a point where he can forgive those that have wronged him in the past. So in conclusion, as we said, in verses uh, 1 to 3, it's about the grounds for this reconciliation, the fact that they are family, friends, fellow workers. And in verses 4 to 7, he moves on to look at the character of Philemon and that he's really confident that Philemon will forgive Onesimus. And the reasons are, number one, that he's experienced the love and the forgiveness of God, that here is somebody that has been forgiven themselves and therefore should want others to experience that forgiveness. Secondly, that he's been filled with the fruit of the Spirit, that actually the Holy Spirit within him has been working to change his character, as we were seeing this morning from Psalm 51, that it's not just about a change in behaviour, but it's actually a change in who we are, that we become alive in Christ, we become new creations. And as such, we become those community fruit trees that uh, other people benefit from that fruit of the Spirit. He's also trusting that uh, Philemon in his house, the, the church were meeting in his house, and what they were doing was not just a group of people once a week uh, meeting in a, in a building, but actually they were creating a, a community of love that, um, that Onesimus would return to, <clears throat> not as a slave anymore, but actually as a brother, that he could take part in that community, be welcomed in that community, and start to, to use his skills and to be a blessing to them. And also Philemon, uh, as we've seen, had demonstrated time and again that he loved the brethren, that not only did he love uh, Jesus, he wasn't just sitting in his house uh, on his own, uh, with his own faith and uh, singing songs on his own and reading the word on his own. But actually he was part of uh, a wider community and not only loving the Lord, but loving the community as well. And he knew that actually as he loved the Lord, he loved community and as he loved that community of faith, he was loving the Lord because they were his people. And he was also somebody that refreshed the saints. He was somebody that was an encouragement. He was somebody that brought that rest and refreshing because he was living to honour God in all that he did. 
So as we finish, let's uh, ask ourselves a few questions. If, if you're a Christian here this evening, if you've known the, uh, the forgiveness and the love of God, let's ask ourselves what kind of people we are. What kind of church are we? Are we striving to be a community of people who can see the good in others? When there is uh, somebody that we don't like or don't quite get on with, are we all the time just thinking about all the things we don't like about them and making a list of all the reasons why uh, they're not very good or they, uh, we wish they weren't here? Or are we actually those people that see the good in other people, that will actually look for those things that we can be thankful for? We look for their good qualities. Are we those people that are bringing everything to the Lord in prayer? Are we those people that are praying uh, individually and as a group for, for all the, the things of, of the church, for the good things and the difficult things? Are we those that are continually reminding ourselves that we have been forgiven ourselves, that we are frail, that we are sinful, that we're not perfect, and therefore we can't expect other people to be perfect? Are we those that remind ourselves that actually because we have been forgiven, we should forgive others? And that actually if, um, if a brother or a sister in Christ wrongs us, that actually that is someone that has been forgiven by God, that that wrong that they've done to us has been nailed to the cross and forgiven? You know, that should really change the way that we see that and we should seek reconciliation. It doesn't mean that we kind of sweep it under the carpet and pretend it doesn't happen. But what it does mean is that we should be able to be honest with one another and we should seek to be at peace with one another. Are we those community fruit trees? Are we people that are just puffed up with pride of our own giftings or our own knowledge of the scriptures? That we just kind of use it as a status symbol that there's uh, all this sort of fruit hanging from us and it's, but we're not sharing it and it's just going mouldy and falling off? Or are we actually those that are willing to allow others to, to pick that fruit, to benefit from the things that we have learned, from the knowledge that we have, from the giftings that we have, maybe our time and our energy. You know, are we using it for the benefit of other people or just for the benefit of ourselves? Because we all know, don't we, that where we are weak, where we are in need, someone else will have the answer to our problem and will be strong and vice versa. And that's how we kind of encourage each other and we march together. And are we committed to the building up of others? Are we committed to the refreshing of the saints? Are we those that are looking to see those that are maybe struggling and are falling behind a little bit? Are we willing just to stop and encourage them? Are we willing to um, provide that little cup of water, whether it's a physical thing or an emotional or spiritual thing? Have we got time for the people that are struggling? And if you're not a Christian this evening, maybe here or watching online, I hope that something of this, uh, the joy of forgiveness, is just making you think really about what you're missing out on. Because maybe you want to be free from the guilt of your own sin, or maybe you have got a lot of resentment um, from what other people have done to you. Maybe you've had a difficult childhood or you're going through a difficult time, and actually you're just burdened not only with your own guilt from what you've done, but also with a weight of resentment and bitterness towards other people. And the only way to get rid of that is to start with your own sin. You know, the reason that Paul could have confidence that Philemon would forgive was because he was the one that led him to Christ. He was the one that shared the gospel with him. He was the one that saw Philemon um, confess his sin, repent of his sin, 
experience that new life in Christ, become a new creation, to see that guilt go away, to, to experience that cleansing of sin. And the same is true for you, that actually if you are bowed down with, with sin and the guilt and resentment and bitterness, the only thing to do is to come to Jesus. He is the only one that is going to be able to deal with that. You know, I mean, you may have tried for years to sort it yourself by blaming other people or justifying it or covering it over or pretending that it's not there. But at some point, you're going to have to face it. You know, the Bible is very clear on the day of judgment, you will have to face all of the wrong things you've done. But the Bible is also very clear that today can be a day of salvation where you bring it all, where you confess it, where you lay it at the foot of the cross, where you accept that Jesus paid for it and where you give your life to him and accept that new life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these wonderful few verses, Lord. We thank you for this wonderful book. Lord, uh, a disagreement between a, a slave and a slave owner 2,000 years ago could be so much help to us when we're facing conflict, when we're facing unforgiveness. Lord, we thank you for Philemon, Lord. We thank you for his character, that he wasn't just someone who knew a lot of things, but he was somebody that shared all that he had been given by you. And Lord, I pray for those of us that know you this evening, Lord, that we will never forget how much we have been forgiven. Never forget that everything we have, every good thing we have is from you. And you call it to share us, Lord, that we can freely give away because we have been freely given. And Lord, for those that don't know you, we pray that today will be the day of salvation for them. Lord, let this be the day where they lay all of their guilt, all of their resentment and bitterness at your feet, where they confess their sin and trust in you, and where they find forgiveness for themselves that will enable them to forgive other people, that they may experience that wonderful liberty of the children of God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.